0: That is Jess Cornelius, the lead singer from Melbourne's Teeth and Tongue uh, with Jealousy. And right now she is touring uh, across the United States, and I believe she is in New York City. It is 3CR Wednesday Breakfast.
1: And uh, coming up next, we're going to hear from Jason Von Medding, Dr. Jason Von Medding. And um, he's written an article for The Conversation about what's happening to the Rohingya people, but he's encouraging us to look a bit deeper. A lot of the uh, coverage has been about, you know, uh, ethnic conflict, uh, and, and But he's saying there are vested interests, economic interests, in which um, people are interested in taking over the land of the Rohingya. Not only the Rohingya, actually, other groups in Myanmar, 135 different ethnic groups in that country, and many have been affected by these kinds of um, uh, land grabs, if you like. So I, I've started, actually, by asking um, Jason von Medding how he got involved in the area of... Um, disaster risk reduction, which kind of is an interesting area to be in, that's his field.
0: So my background is actually in architecture and I began to research into the area of disasters when I was still a student and I went over to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and started to look specifically at buildings but also at vulnerable people and that led me to do a PhD in the area and focus much more on the human aspect rather than the buildings.
1: From New Orleans to the Rohingya to Myanmar, that's a a big jump. What takes you there?
0: One of the things that causes people to be vulnerable is being marginalized within their country. Marginalization and dispossession often leads to displacement. So in the last years, we've seen an increase in people being displaced within borders and over borders. And generally those people are suffering from the same structural conditions of oppression and injustice that cause them to be at risk of disasters. So for me, there's a really big overlap between the area of displacement and marginalized people and the study of disasters. I think it's inseparable. Everybody is aware there's almost 400,000 people that have been displaced. Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. It is, and and you're talking about nearly half of the population of uh, the Rohingya of a people group that are being displaced in a very short space of time. And so the reason we wrote the article was because we, we looked at the media coverage of this and we thought in the Western media we've got a certain narrative which is dominant, which is generally about Aung San Suu Kyi talking, you know, about her transition from the human rights leader to to someone who supports genocide. And then on the other side, if you look at the narrative within Myanmar and look at people who are actually in that region, you get a very different perspective, which is no less one-sided. Again, labeling the Rohingya as terrorists, well, using all sorts of dehumanizing terms to generalize to that population of people. So we felt that neither of these narratives really captures what's going on in this situation. And a lot of these narratives were based around religious tensions as well. And although religious tensions are critical in understanding this crisis, we felt that there's a lot of political and economic reasons for displacement in Myanmar, which have historical roots, and there's a lot of things that we can learn by taking a bit of a broader look at this crisis.
1: You describe land-grabbing in Myanmar and that have affected a number of different groups.
0: So in Myanmar, there's 135 ethnic groups. And actually, if you look back before the transition to the current democracy in Myanmar, when they had decades of military rule, there's a long history of um, land grabbing and displacement of minorities, but not only minority ethnic groups, but just of poor farmers.
1: Does anyone who doesn't have a lot of power, it sounds Absolutely. like. I'm assuming it's the military that's doing the work of land grabbing. It
0: could be characterized as a collaboration between, well, the military and the democratic government and corporations and, and private interests. And usually the tactics that are used are the implementation of new policy in terms of land. And if you look before the uh, 2012 transition, the land grabbing actually didn't involve the Rohingya. And that's really more of a, a recent phenomenon. And if you look before, I think it was 2016, you actually had an area of 3 million hectares in Rakhine province, which is where the Rohingya are which was designated for economic development. So that's only a year ago. You know, all of these things are linked. You've got these pipelines between Tsitsui and China. You've got Indian and Chinese interests. And you've also got a kind of simmering geopolitical battle between the U.S. and China for dominance in this region. And so our feeling in writing this article is that Myanmar is really stuck as a bit of a prize jewel in that region. But you you still have a very strong military in Myanmar. It's debatable the degree to which Aung San Suu Kyi actually has power to control the military. Yes, quite
1: a few people are are arguing that, and and they do have the set number of seats.
0: Yeah, and so even if you look before the transition, you you had very strong Chinese and Indian interests in Myanmar. What you have uh, with the open-for-business narrative is key Western countries looking for... uh, pathway to bring their corporations in and challenge China. With that challenge of Western corporations and, and uh, powers to the long-standing Chinese influence in Myanmar, there's a lot going on behind the surface that we don't see.
1: Right. So this is yet one more area in which there are US Chinese interests could make things even worse than they are now.
0: Definitely. And a lot of the time we look at very super in a very super, superficial way, at the statements, you know, we say, well, U.S. and Australia have condemned a certain thing happening; another country has stayed silent, um, and we take that at face value. But often, there's there's reasons why the U.S. condemns one atrocity and doesn't condemn another. They're serving their own agenda. It's not because they; it's because they don't actually care about all the people suffering equally.
1: So, what is it about the Rakhine, as you say, this is it's fairly recently been recognised as an area for development. So what does it have that people want?
0: There's a big oil and gas field just offshore, um, which is really um, attractive for foreign investment and for for speculators. Um, There's key pipelines which are going from there through the Rakhine province. So I think that's one of the key things that we need to look at in terms of understanding why it's a strategic piece of land, and that, and so I and I think there's there's actually been quite a few good articles coming out now to to look at those issues in more depth. Uh, if you follow alternative media, and not mainstream.
1: Right, I see the the potential in the Rakhine, which is an incredibly poor state with huge wealth potential. Who's going to to benefit from that wealth creation?
0: It will probably follow the same pattern as we, we see in most places in the world where the, those who make deals with the government with the least regard for uh, the rights of the vulnerable will probably benefit. It's very unlikely that... Um, people, whether, whether Rohingya Muslim or not, will benefit from the development.
1: And a lot of people have said that um, the Rohingya are the most disadvantaged uh, ethnic group in M- Myanmar. What is it about their situation that makes them more disadvantaged than other groups in Myanmar?
0: Partly about the uh, really strong nationalist fervor which has been fomented in uh, Myanmar against the Rohingya if you look at the national press and the the way that the government narrative is is put out it very much dehumanizes the rohingya um and it, and of course they had their rights to citizenship revoked and so they really really are stateless people you know on the other hand you there there's also a lot of journalism out there which critiques the, the other side of this which is the the existence of the resistance movement which is as a terrorist organization.
1: You mean the so called terrorist organization.
0: Exactly. And the the thing that I found interesting is looking at how a country a neighboring country like Bangladesh for many years has maybe used their position in a neighboring country as a Muslim minority to actually further the agenda of of another nation. So it's it's almost like on every on every front the Rohingya are persecuted or Used, really sad.
1: Yes, it is. It's very sad.
0: I think it's important in this on this issue that we encourage people to be much more critical about what they're reading and what they're hearing. You know, obviously, those of us in this area follow the the crisis. I've been supervising a PhD student who, who was in Rakhine last year, when it was still safe to travel there. We were looking at the vulnerability of internally displaced Rohingya, settled Rohingya, and uh, Rakhine Buddhists and looking at the differing vulnerability between their settlements. That's kind of what sparked our interest in this region and helped us to pursue a bit more knowledge about what's going on there.
1: You mentioned the Buddhists, so you were talking to them as well. Yeah. And what did you find?
0: We found that there was just a lot of resentment between the communities, partly religious, but also to do with, kind of their position in society and the resources that they have at their disposal. The current violence has really put my, my PhD students' um, study a bit in limbo where he has to rethink right down to what the research question is because he's no longer able to follow that path because fieldwork isn't feasible in, in the foreseeable future.
1: Which also makes the, the Rohingya even more vulnerable.
0: Definitely. So I think, I think the direction that we might go with his uh, research is that we might continue to research the Rohingya, but we'll be looking at the uh, displaced people in Bangladesh.
1: Okay, um, well, wish your student all the best with thank that you. research. And uh, and thank you for coming on Breakfast with us. 3CR Breakfast, oh Alternative God. News, Analysis and Current Affairs, Monday to Friday, 7 a.m. until 8.30 a.m.